Welcome to the CND podcast in association with activists. Activists are proud to have been manufacturing in the UK for over 175 years. Hello and welcome to the CND podcast. I'm CND editor James Waldron. Community pharmacy was thrust into the national media spotlight last month after the Guardian published a string of articles claiming health and beauty giant Boots had gone rogue. The newspaper pointed to anecdotal examples of managers responding to financial and target pressures at the multiple by pressurising pharmacists to carry out unnecessary medicines use reviews. Boots told CND at the time that it didn't recognise the claims and later pointed out that only one of its branches had been criticised by pharmacy regulator the General Pharmaceutical Council for the targets it set its staff. The Guardian's original article included comments by a union, the Pharmacist Defence Association, otherwise known as the PDA, and used findings from the PDA survey of pressures across the multiples to back up its own arguments. I sat down with PDA Chair Mark Koziel to discuss how the issue of pressure in community pharmacies has made international headlines and what's coming up next. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us here. First of all, I guess what I want to know is what has the PDA been up to since this first Guardian articles with the allegations about how Boots is conducting MURs? That was part of a wider survey you released. Can you tell me what you've been doing since you published that? Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, a lot of people may not be aware of unless they're directly involved is uh, even as we sit here, we've got uh, lawyers, barristers, paralegals and pharmacists somewhere or other around the country helping members who are in trouble at work, in front of disciplinary panels, regulatory panels, in front of boards, uh, dealing with civil claims, etc., etc. So all of that life of the PDA that, if you like, is under the line continues to go on and we're extremely busy with that. We dealt with 5,000 of such incidents just last year. The Guardian situation pretty much took us and everybody else by surprise, and ever since then, we ri- literally have been swamped by media interest. We're aware that this story has now been syndicated to more than 125 newspapers all around the world. We were on the front page of the Pharmaceutical Journal of Australia. Um, it's been the subject of many radio interviews. Uh, you know, Myself and other members of senior staff have been interviewed on numerous occasions by radio stations around the UK. We've been approached by companies who now want to make documentaries, uh, um, films about what's, what's, what's happened. It really has caught the imagination uh, of the public in a way that was much bigger than anybody expected. And I think The Guardian has been taken by surprise as well. They told us that they'd never, on a single issue that they've ever run before, and they've done some pretty hairy issues, had such a massive response from pharmacists, doctors, members of the public, uh, nurses, all sorts of people. So it really has taken us by surprise. So we've been busy responding to all of those. Um, We're planning to build on that. Pharmacy is now, um, if you like, in the spotlight of the media, perhaps for all the wrong reasons, but we believe that we can build some positive things from that. Well, you said there's been overwhelming reaction to it. Maybe you you weren't quite expecting. As a pharmacy journalist, I know that it's very hard to get the national media that interested in the plight of pharmacists, you know, for a number of reasons, unfortunately. What are the reasons why you think this story kind of captured the public and the media's imagination? Well, um, often you do things and there are unintended consequences. Um, When Mr Pessina got involved in a statement last year when he decided to get involved in the general elections of this country and started to advise members of the UK uh, population how to vote and not to vote Labour, he may as well stuck a six-foot red target on his back because he was going to be the target of the press. There's no question about that whatsoever. And I suspect that that may have been part of the motivation behind some of the newspapers and The Guardian in wanting to have a look more closely at the affairs of Mr Pessina. We were contacted at a point where I think The Guardian had fashioned the story into a point of view where we know what the big money stuff is, is doing, but what effect is it happening actually on the ground? 
And they were able to plot a trajectory of how Boots in character and in soul changed at the time where the venture capital people took over. They contacted us because they knew we were a union because they were also looking very interested in this, the long-running legal battle that we have with Boots over union recognition for the PDA. They're very interested in that. In fact, there's a lot of newspapers interested in that story uh, because it's a, effectively a very interesting case study. So that's why we were contacted and that's why we shared the data with them. I think you're quite accurate in saying that the Guardian was probably quite interested in doing a story on Boots and a lot of the initial media attention has been on that. Is this a risk that this story is going to die away once the interest in Boots has gone? You know, are people going to be interested in actually what pharmacists are doing day to day and the pressures they're under? This story continues to run. Uh, We've been approached by uh, people in Parliament. We've been approached by people in very, very influential healthcare uh, positions by uh, other healthcare professions. And actually the story is turning into something else. It's a much bigger story than Boots, but Boots is a classic case in point. And we believe that professionalism in pharmacy is being snuffed out and it's in the domain of the large uh, corporates. That patient safety survey that was uh, described uh, in The Guardian was also done in the land of the independents. And I can tell you now, those figures were markedly different um, in the land of the independents. So we ask ourselves a question, to what extent is professionalism a good thing for patients? Well, we know it's a good thing. To what extent is it thriving in pharmacy? And we believe it's in, in serious peril. And what can be done to protect and support and underpin professionalism in pharmacy? Well, you're drawing a kind of a start line there between multiples and independence and how professionalism is perhaps viewed in different ways. I mean, how can that possibly be counteracted? Well, the, the one big enemy that we believe that we all have is the commoditization of healthcare generally in the system. And that's also an in, something that The Guardian is very interested about and other newspapers as well. And the moment you start to commoditize pharmacy services you start to dilute down the real value, the real professionalism. I was uh, judging a a student leadership competition. It's one of the things I was doing this morning. And I was looking what these young undergraduates were writing about, about what they wanted to be when they became pharmacists, how they wanted to practice. And as I was reading this, my heart was sinking because I was thinking, you guys, things left as they are are never, ever going to happen. So we've got to change that. And I believe we got to this place, almost like frogs in a bath of hot water, where we are now scalded. And we're almost unable to get out of the bath, but we must get out of this bath. And we must say, how do we revisit those values? How do we underpin professionalism in pharmacy? Now, that's a job for the regulator. That's a job collectively for the profession. That's a job for organisations like the MPA and the, and the PDA as unions and representatives of employers. That's a job for the corporate multiples. Because unless we have a healthy profession, then all of these aims and objectives and ambitions that we have as professionals, they just won't materialise and we will continue to be sent to the, you know, to the, the fringes of healthcare and ultimately patients will suffer because of it. And what's the role of the PDA in all of this? I mean, you mentioned kind of what the regulator and the pharmacy bodies can do. What do you see your role in trying to push this agenda? Well, we were set up for two reasons in the first place. Number one, pharmacists are working in an increasingly hostile environment. So I mentioned the 5,000 support episodes that we provide at least every year to pharmacists who are in trouble in one sort or another, and that number is uh, heading north. The second thing is we were set up because 100 years ago, if you were a pharmacist, you owned a pharmacy, and there were organisations around then who represented the interests of pharmacy owners. Today, 95 plus percent of pharmacists are employees or locums, and yet the real uh, impetus, the real influence in pharmacy is still with the hands of the owners. Now, they indeed deserve to have an influence, but they must not be the only voice in town. So our role, as we see it, is to make sure that we articulate the issues, the voices and the concerns, and to act upon the concerns of individual employee and locum pharmacists. And there are so many issues to go after there that it can be overwhelming. 
But in this particular case, I think we've made some great progress. Well, I mean, I'm sure anyone who feels that their plight's now been highlighted for the first time or has wrote into The Guardian agrees with you there. I mean, you're talking about, you know, representing and reflecting the, the plight of pharmacists. And that leads me on nicely to uh, a reader question I got from someone on Twitter called At Pharmacist Dads, who made a quite pertinent point that asking, how do you balance the protection of your members against damaging the face of pharmacy at a time of critical funding negotiations? And I suppose this is quite a key question because while, you know, it is obviously always important to flag up you know, the stress and pressure that pharmacists are being on. We are at an incredibly sensitive time where we're trying to, you know, secure or reverse a potential funding cut in October. I mean, is there not a risk that, that putting out these messages now to the public is just going to make it likely that we're going to have more funding cut and that the government's going to realise that pharmacy is creaking already? So why is it something it should invest in? It's an entirely valid point. I'd uh, perhaps answer it in two ways. In, in a narrow sense, this feature was written by The Guardian, um, it involved uh, pharmacists who came along and offered themselves as uh, case study witnesses. It involved the professors of uh, economy. It involved senior pharmacists and ex-chief pharmacists, and it involved the PDA. So this wasn't, if you like, a PDA uh, piece of activity. Uh, nevertheless, it has raised the awareness hugely as to the plight of what goes on in community pharmacy. The wider point that I'd like to answer is the following. We need to ask ourselves what kind of profession we want. And at the PDA, we believe a really, really important founding principle of a profession is we must look after the weakest members within our profession. And we are constantly approached, and this is what gets us out of bed in the morning, by pharmacists who ring us day in, day out, every day of the week, who are horrified, who are ill, who are stressed, who are crying. We've had their parents contacting us. We've had some who've contemplated committing suicide as a result of the working environment that they are in. Now, in the end, what this is about is about taking responsibility. Somebody's got to act and somebody's got to take responsibility. Remember, I was a, a child and I was watching a black and white movie. It was after the Second World War and there was a bunch of POWs in a prison camp and they were being inspected by the Red Cross. And for the day of the inspection, they were all dressed up in smart clothes. They were all given food and there was even a harmonica player in the corner and everybody was having a happy-go-lucky time. And as the Red Cross people paraded around the camp, your whole body was screaming... Tell them, tell them, do something. And nobody did because they were promised some extra bowl of gruel in a week's time, etc. The moment the Red Cross people left, all of the amenities were gone, the harmonica play disappeared, the gruel was taken off them and they were thrown back into the mud and stuck in chains again. We had an opportunity to bring this to the attention of the wider world. The genie is now out of the bottle. We don't make any apologies for doing that now. And had we had our time again, we would do exactly the same. And you ask the question, do you not think it will derail the negotiations? You know what? Unless we fix this problem, we won't actually have a profession that we can talk about. So that's much more important to us than potentially affecting the negotiations. Now, in relation to protecting the negotiations, it's been announced now that MURs are now going to be reviewed. Actually, the wider piece is there could well be a complete fresh look. And we're certainly talking to MPs now. And we're certainly lobbying and agitating for people to look entirely differently at the way the community pharmacy is funded. You'll know, because we've published our roadmap, we believe that individual pharmacists have a much greater role to play in the whole commissioning area of how services are provided. And we're not saying that we should forget bricks and mortar contractors and switch it all to pharmacists. We believe that both of these vehicles have a role in the new health service going forward. We're the only voice that's articulating that, because why would otherwise turkeys vote for Christmas? Now, this kind of review that's coming up on MURs and this kind of, hold on a minute, let's have a second take about how community pharmacy works, could yet work very much in the favour of the profession 
because it might help to underpin the professionalism of pharmacists and some of the commissioning might move more so to individual pharmacists and group practices of pharmacists. So you plan to get quite involved in the services review once anything gets off the ground? We've had a strategy to look at a different way of pharmacy being delivered in the wider community. For the last five or six years, we've published a number of strategic documents about it, and we feel that we're actually getting tantalisingly close to delivering that now. Okay, Mark, thank you so much for joining us for the C&D podcast, and we'll be sure to keep our readers updated on the latest developments from the PDA. It's been a pleasure, James. Thank you.